0: today we're going to continue on where we've been going and looking at our vision and values. We have a little booklet uh, available that has all of those things. It'll be at the door uh, just to give an idea what we believe and why. And I believe it's of uh, utmost important to to you and to me, if I was going to go to another church, I want to know what they believed. And we've been looking at our first value, which is based on the Word of God. And um, I'm just going to do a little recap on that. I was reading in uh, on, um, on Christian surveys and where the church is going, and uh, Barner does a, a survey every year. And what he's come to the conclusion is that in North America, the majority of people will say, well, uh, yeah, the majority of the people will say that they are uh, committed to a church if they come once every three weeks. And um, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But he also says in order to get uh, a message through that is important to the body of Christ, you need to, in a sense, um, speak about it over three weeks. And so for the ones that have been here, uh, I think about this. Don't worry, I've heard this message more than any of you <laughs> myself. But it's a very important one because it's a foundation of who we are, and um, and that's our foundation. And it's our foundational value. And that is this: if we could have it up there, that the Bible, in its entirety, is inspired and in authoritative word of God, and is the only acceptable standard for life, ministry, and conduct in the church. We believe in the Bible plus nothing, minus nothing. We're not to add, we're not to take away. We saw this, uh, Paul understood this well, and in his writings to Timothy, I love his writings to Timothy because they are the writings of a father to a spiritual son. They are the writings of a man who knows that he is eminently going to be uh, persecuted and crucified for his faith. Voice of the martyrs. um, Interesting enough, in South Africa, I was about 11 or 12, for some reason, I don't even know why my parents took us there, but um, uh, that's when I was introduced to them, and it had a profound impact on my life, um, uh, even though uh, I I was not serving God at the time. And uh, so I encourage you to bring your friends and family. Uh, We want to help them. I want to just say thank you to Johan and and his team in the markets. They came to us with this um, dream to start this orphanage uh, uh, many years ago and um, to see where it's going. It's absolutely amazing. Coming from Zimbabwe, myself, there's a lot of issues. We'll be in Haiti again. Haiti is in turmoil again. And... um, you know, what we are actually want to do is not raise up orphans to just be um, good citizens, but we want to raise them up in the power of God. We want to see some of those young people leading nations in Africa and Haiti because they're full of the power of the Spirit. God can do anything and use anything. And so so we do that because we love them and that team, and uh, we bask in the... In the uh, in the favor of that because of them. But it's extremely important. Um, We'll have Marcel here from the Haitian church uh, in a few weeks' time. I'll be there doing some uh, leadership training in January again. And um, with leaders, there's about 12 churches from Haiti and Dominican Republic that we've connected with. But Marcel's church has a school of 600 children, And they believe in faith to supply one meal a day for every kid. And so far, they've never not been able to do that. And so these things are happening, and you through Oceanside are connected through those. So you'll learn more about all of these things. And so um, a brief recap, like I say, Paul writing to Timothy These are his most important words. I'm sure in heaven now he looks down and had no idea that we would be reading them 2,000 years later. But he says this in 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 6. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season uh, uh, season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come. When men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, but you, Mike, but you, Oceanside, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all your duties of your ministry." Those words spoken 2,000 years ago more than likely ring more true today than ever before. And we see that that what was acceptable just a few years ago is no longer accepted today. Today's culture, where we are today, will not be accepted by tomorrow's culture in a few years' time. What we believe today, what culture believes, will be seen as archaic, and more than likely judgmental. And Timothy Keller, this great preacher, reformed preacher in New York who's planning churches and transforming New York of all places, uh, wrote this. The fundamental question the church needs to answer is who determines what is right or wrong? Is it God or culture? Either the Bible... Is the final authority and determines what is acceptable or unacceptable or culture has authority over Bible and determines what text is acceptable and unacceptable. And last week we moved from there. That was two weeks ago. Please listen to them. We, we spoke about speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. One of the problems with the church, and we have to admit that, in a, whether we were part of it or in the history of the church, the church has been very judgmental. Often the church has spoken the truth, and because there's no um, basis of relationship or foundation of love, it has not been accepted. And I often hear that all the time when, when I'm asked these questions. And I'm asked the, these questions often. Um, what what we believe and why we believe. And it always gets back to, but look what the church did. And I tell you, we cannot um, do anything about that except repent of it, because we are part of the church. And repentance is we turn around, we simply turn around, we repent, and we do the things that Jesus did at first, that love Everybody, And so we need to have a basis and a foundation that we love. You see, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. And God says he disciplines those he's, he loves, and that's you and I. But discipline is always redemptive. When we discipline somebody, and if we don't have the heart for their good and to see them rise up from that, then we shouldn't do it. And punishment is up to God, and we know that it's going to be eternal. But we're here to bring redemption. We're here to love people. And we're going to see that again. I'll just briefly go through how Jesus did that. You see, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read verse 1 to 8. I think... We all know this, but I don't know whether we speak about it enough. It says, If I speak of tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. That's what people hear, is bang, 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 bang. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not I have love, I am Nothing. I'm glad I didn't write these words. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I might boast but do not have love I gain nothing. You see these are sobering thoughts and sobering words. And as I've said God's love is never achieved it's only received. Romans 5 tells us that God's love is poured into our hearts by his Spirit. It's a transformation from the inside out. So we cannot go there and say, I'm going to love this person, I'm going to love this person. We go there, something happens, and we do the exact opposite. We need to come before the Father, and that's what I'm going to speak about today. Trusting the Lord with all our heart, the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. And we need to come to our and say, Father, I cannot do this without you. Jesus even said himself, if you are willing, take this cross from me. Take this one from me. I can't do it on my own. But not my will, but your will be done. And the more we spend time with Jesus, the more in love we become with him and we become like him. You see, this is what love is. Verse 4 Love is patient. Love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Aren't you glad that Psalm 103 says he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he chooses, he made a sovereign decision to remember them no more. He's not forgetful. But because of Jesus, he does not see them anymore. And he separates them as far as the east is from the west. So when we come before the throne of grace and we're going to look at that and to receive mercy. And we've confessed those sins. He's faithful and just to have forgiven us and cleanse us from all unrighteous. One John tells us that. When we've confessed those sins, and we go back to him and we say, Father, I'm so sorry what I did five years ago and all of this. He says, please stop reminding me. It's done. It's finished. He keeps no records of wrong because he is ultimate love. Love always uh, does not delight, delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It does not delight in the fact that people are struggling in an evil place. They've lost their way. Prodigal sons, people that don't know God. Love cannot delight in that. But it rejoices with the truth. It shares the truth and speaks the truth with love. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. We looked at what speaking the truth in love looks like through the life of Jesus last week in John chapter 4, and just a brief recap here. Jesus has this conversation with a woman at a well, a woman like many of us, dealing with many issues, a social outcast, despised by the Jews simply because she was a Samaritan and despised by the Samaritans because of her lifestyle. Here we see Jesus sitting at a well, and along comes a Samaritan woman. And the religious culture would have done one of two things. It would have chased her away. It would have left right away. But he doesn't do that. Instead of rejecting her and walking away, he engages her and asks her for a drink of water. In doing so, Jesus breaks every religious protocol. She is a Samaritan woman and therefore an outcast to the Jews. She's a serial adulteress in danger of being stoned to death under the law of the day. But in spite of this, known of her five husbands and much more, Jesus reaches out to her. He engages her, and not from a place Of judgment, but from one of mercy and grace. I've been looking at this for so many weeks and spending time with God because I know that I need to step up my game in these areas. And I know that I cannot do it without God, but I know God is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. And it's been an amazing journey. And I'm not there, and please, um, please don't expect me to be. <laughs> you see, mercy is simply not giving us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. We don't get what we deserve. James 2, verse 12 and 13. James writes, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, by the law that gives life, by the law of grace. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Grace. Mercy is not giving what we deserve, getting what we deserve. And grace is giving us something we do not deserve. Mercy gives us what we don't deserve, and grace gives us what we do not deserve. No, mercy gives us what we do deserve. (laughs) I don't know how many times I've read over there and got mixed over there. You see, Hebrews 4 14 to 16, talking about the mercy of God. This is one of, another one of my anchor scriptures. Told you the other one was in Romans 5. Romans 5, first six or seven verses there. It starts with a therefore. And in Scripture, when you see the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. And the writer's Hebrew is talking about Christ, the perfect sacrifice, under the new covenant. And he's speaking to a Hebrew uh, um, audience, and he's comparing the old with the new. And you can read... The, the, the passage to find out more for find out what it's there for therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we now profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are Yet he did not sin. Temptation is not sin. It's yielding to temptation. If it was sin, Jesus was a sinner. He was tempted in every way. He went through everything we did so that he could have grace and mercy for us, I believe. But he never fell to temptation. And this is the key. Therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Remember, under the old covenant, if you went into the Holy of Holies and and you weren't the high priest and you hadn't gone through a whole ritual to make sure that there's nothing (laughs) wrong, if you hadn't had a sacrifice that was out without spot or blemish, and you went into the... You had at the bottom of the high priest's cloak had a really cool look. Some of you should look at the, do this. It had bells and pomegranates. Come on, somebody do that for me. And there was a rope, maybe as long as this room. And it wasn't for show. It wasn't a fashion statement. It was because. If they went in there and everything wasn't exactly holy, the high priest would be killed. Bam. They'd hear the bells. They'd hear the crash. Nobody would run in there, just pull him out with the rope. And I've thought of this, and I wonder the guy that was number two must have been praying like crazy. But we don't live under that dispensation. We live under the dispensation of grace. And that's what Hebrew is all about. Some people say it was actually just one long sermon. Imagine going through that. But when we have throw, uh, thrown of grace, we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I saw this quote, an, an anonymous quote, the need for mercy and grace is always more compelling to, the humble, to humble people who know their own adequacy. Jesus speaks the truth. He confronts her lifestyle, but in such a way that instead of running away, hiding in condemnation, she runs into her hometown, the very town she that had rejected her, and introduces them to Jesus Christ. And as a result of her testimony, revival breaks out and many are saved. He spoke the truth. He he said, I know you have done this. I know you have done this. I know you have done this. But in such a compassionate and merciful way that it transformed her heart. And that's what God wants us to do. Blessed when they say all manner of things about us when they persecute all of us because they did that to the prophets they did it to Jesus Christ, but if we speak the truth and we speak the truth in love, I tell you it softens a heart and God's seed is eternal, and the seed never dies. But the, the condition of the soil is critical to the planting of that seed in the heart. I love gardening. It's my favorite thing outside of preaching. I've confessed now. <laughs> soil. People get these beautiful plants and stick them in bad soil and spend their lives and money trying to get that thing to grow. Start with the soil. The soil is the heart. Love softens the soil, it prepares the soil. It softens, the Holy Spirit come and rains on the soil. So when that seed goes, they might reject you, but it takes root. It might take years. It might take to the deathbed when they are there. I have led people, I kid you not, more than once to, to their salvation minutes before death. It's a beautiful thing. I had a man, uh, one of our nurses uh, called me a few years ago and said, listen, the family, we, uh, the, um, the, the dad is. Here, has been uh, struggling for three or four years, three or four days in there, been sick for many years, and he was just holding on to life. And she said they asked if a priest could come and pray for her, for him. And uh, I don't think they thought a priest would look like this. But anyway, they didn't mind who. She phoned me. I went there. This guy was lying there, just very tense, very afraid. The family was around. Uh, I held his hand, and I started sharing God's love for him, his mercy, his grace, the gospel. He couldn't speak. I said, if you can hear me, just squeeze my hand. And right through the thing was squeezing my hand. I said, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? He said, yes. I led him through the prayer. The atmosphere changed instantly. Got in my car and a half an hour later, he died peacefully. I was able to um, help him with the funeral and witness to this family. I was in Toronto doing something. She looked on her website. It was two or three hours from where she was. She saw I was going to be one of the daughters. She drove all the way to tell me that because of that, she's now in a church and serving God. That wasn't me. I'll tell you the other side. I was in the middle of my prep and asked my darling wife, if I'm in a thought and you say, do you want a cup of coffee? It's like, Boop, boop. it's gone that train <laughs> takes me a while and when this nurse phoned me i was in the middle of um, of the uh, pre- preparation and she said can you come now and i tell you i said yes but my heart was not right <sighs> and i had to go through the throne of grace and receive mercy myself you see that seed is eternal And the way we conduct ourselves and represent Christ has a direct impact on those around us. It's very important. Today, I want to finish this, and um, the elders said I have another hour, because we had an hour beforehand, but but um, on my buttons, there we are. Okay. (laughs) I don't know, Deb, I can't help you, please. Sorry, guys. Please take this off here. I had the wrong button on the wrong hole. (laughs) It's bugging my wife. (laughs) What would we do without our wives, eh? Maybe a lot. I don't know. A lot wrong. A lot wrong. You see, I want to take a few minutes to look at more than likely one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible. I've looked at it often. It's, um, if you Google it, it will be in the top ten. Many people have it on tattoos and all of that. But it's very profound. It's Proverbs 3, 4 to 6. Proverbs, to me, I look at it as a di- diary of a, of a wise old man with lots of wisdom and quite a few regrets. The diary of Solomon. It's an amazing book to read, Vanity of Vanities. But he has so much wisdom uh, in the things and the ways of God. I think there's 31 chapters, and chapter day of Proverbs is easy to read, and the chapter of the day keeps the devil away. Very, very wise man, laid it all out. But he says here in Proverbs 3, 4 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. The journey from head knowledge to heart lo- knowledge is one of the hardest and the longest, longest journeys of life. You see, there's a difference between the religion of the heart and the religion of the mind. Big difference. Religion of the mind is all about knowledge and information. And that's really good. We need to study the Word. But that information needs to be transformed by the Holy Spirit into personal revelation in the presence of God. And if it doesn't do that, it will not produce life. Religion of the heart begins and ends with the intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit And like any relationship, it requires time. Do I spend all my time in my own understanding? And a little bit of time trusting in the Lord? It's a question I've been asking myself. How much time do I give God to allow this transformation To take place. It is not going to take place without us coming to God and not only learning His will, but knowing His ways. It will not happen. And if we give Him five minutes a day, or two minutes, or no minutes, we will always be led by our heads and not our hearts. And when we are led by our heads and not our hearts, given to God, we become reactionary, and we're always trying to play catch-up. You see, any healthy relationship requires time. It's a journey from self-reliance to total reliance on God. It's a journey of faith, and we're coming into times in this world where faith is going to be, have to be strong. Dave Market was saying that he's just sensing in his heart, in his prayer time, and that just an urgency for us and for the nation. An urgency. And I can say we don't have to look far into the world to say that there's an urgency for the church to begin to arise and take its rightful place. A priesthood of believers walking in love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Because Jesus is coming back for victorious church, and I want us to be a part of that. Amen. You see, one of letting go of everything and letting God be God—a journey of faith, not, a, not in our own gifting and ability, but in God. In God we trust. A journey not with gifting and our own ability. God will use that and he's given us, but it needs to come in and through our relationship with him. You see, it's a journey that requires surrender, surrender of self, of humility, and requires real, personal face time with God. God. Think about that. When I prepare these things, I've got a big log and a big mirror looking at me. I've just had the privilege of working through some of these things. But it's an ongoing journey. See, in Joshua to 9 God has a conversation with him. Moses has just died, the, the greatest Prophet, the word God says, is one of the greatest leaders of all time. And this young man has now been handed the leadership of a nation. I'm sure he was really nervous, but he spent time with God. And in his conversation before, shortly after Moses' death, God reveals his plan for Joshua's success, and he reveals it for us in the same passage. He says, God says, be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Do not turn from the right to the left. And he goes on to say this, and if you do that, you will be successful in whatever you do. We don't need Dale Carnegie, although he's an amazing guy, and most of his things are biblically based. This is what we need. Keep this book always before your lips. Meditate on it. Day and night. Let that information, chew on it. Meditate and let that information go from information to revelation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Meditate. This is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But the Holy Spirit is a dove. He does not force himself. He will never, like the demonic, will force itself on you. The Holy Spirit, no. We invite the Holy Spirit. We come into the presence. And you might just start with one little chapter, one little verse. I know we're going to go through reading the Bible next year though, from cover to cover. But sometimes for me, I can park in three or four tra- chapters for days. Three or four verses. Just wow, wow, wow. This little book. has so much power and anointing. And to get before and just read and read and read, and all of a sudden, boom, something jumps out the page. Have you ever had that? You say, I've never seen it like that before. That's revelation. It will happen. But speaking to God and a conversation with God is two ways. And I find, even as a pastor and all of it, it's it's more... My way, God, and please help me in this, God, please, please, please. This and that, this and that, and many people have got issues, and in our family we've got issues and all of this, and I can be at the end of that my time's up. Instead of saying, like Eli said to Samuel, just simply say, Speak to me, O God, your servant is listening. That's how it works. Sundays for a fix of God, and, and I don't so say like lad I love Sundays, but we cannot live on revelation that comes through me or anybody else or on the presence of God for half an hour. You see, secondhand revelation has a shelf life. As soon as something goes wrong, it's gone. But when it's mine, you ask me how I know Jesus lives, people ask me this all the time. How do you know? How do you know? Because He lives within my heart. I know in my Noah. I know. And it sounds freaky and weird to people. But I how many of you have seen your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Anybody? How many of you believe you're saved? Exactly. It's an amazing thing. Keep the law of the word, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful. To do everything written in it. So how do you meditate? You get one scripture like that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You can't meditate on the whole book of Proverbs. Lean not on your own. Lord, show me. What does this mean? How does this work? Where am I at? Where am I going wrong? Lord. And speak. I'm listening. And chew on it. It's like a cow with a cud. You just chew on that thing. You get all the juice out of it. And it becomes yours. And he says this, then you will be prosperous and successful in the midst of trials. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. This is going to go a little bit long because I really need to finish this. The biggest issue in the world today is the biggest Issue of the world of yesterday, going right back to Joshua. Fear and discouragement paralyzes us. It paralyzes the church. And it can knock us out the race. And unfortunately, these days, because of the pressure that is increasing, it is getting worse and worse. And I do believe we need help. We need help. We have godly people and, or people that have studied and can understand this, but that can only go so far. It's Jesus Christ who we need whilst we get help from others more than anything else. You see in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, amazing scripture that we read a little bit of but I want to read it again from verse 15 for we do not have a high high priest who is unable to empathize empathize with our weakness he knows church and in Hebrews 10 22 says this let us draw near to god the voice of the enemy will tell you to run and hide you've messed up and if you haven't messed up or sinned every day of your life i really want to meet you i'm not just just saying sin but if you haven't done one sin or thought in a day i really want to meet you be amazing But we need to draw near to God, even in our darkest hour. Here's the answer. And we come with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith that, bring, uh, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed by pure, pure water. Guilty consciences, condemnation, is paralyzing us. Causing fear, depression, oppression. We come and God cleanses us from a guilty conscience, washes it away. And we need to know the scriptures. Like if you confess with your heart, Jesus is Lord, and believe and believe with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you will be saved. That salvation comes from the heart. And we confess that. And when we are saved, I believe we are saved for all eternity. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, church, there is only one antidote for fear. And that is faith. And faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. But faith comes through relationship. The more I trust God and know Him, the more faith I have in Him. It's like a friend. You can know a friend from afar. And you say, well, I don't know if I can really trust him. Others you can say, yeah. How many of you said this? I can trust that person with my life. This is the one, the only one that we really can. And He loves us. And so I want to finish this with, I want to uh, read from Isaiah 43, because I know as a pastor there's a lot of fear and anxiety, depression and oppression on the body of Christ. And I can be fearful and anxious as well as any of you. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of sound mind. And today I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up. I want you to just do one song of worship because it's late. But I want to pray and break the power of that over people in this place. God loves you. He never leaves you, leaves you, or forsakes you. He walks through with you through the valley of the shadow of death, and you need fear no evil even in that place. I've been there. I've been there with so many Christians. I tell you what. My first time, I was there, and someone was going to pass away a Christian. I was so full of fear, and what am I going to do? And then there's the presence of God. Boom, angels in the room. The presence. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of earth, we will fear no evil. He prepares the table for us. We know that. And I just want to read a little bit of Isaiah 43, because if you are in that place, God wants to set you free, but we are in a divine partnership with God. And our part of that part, um, um, sorry, Isaiah 43, that partnership with God is the most incredible partnership of all because we bring zero to the partnership. He brings everything. Everything. We come just as we are. And he says, I want to put a clean garment on you. I want to set you free. If I've set, who I've set free is free indeed. I want to put a ring upon your finger again. If you, if you have been out there living with the pigs, I want to restore you. And we can do this every day, church, and it takes time. And sometimes, to me... I just can't even pray I just so much i so overwhelmed sometimes I just put on Christocentric worship worship that glorifies Jesus and if you want the best for me is Hillsong United you can go and get on YouTube for free and I just sing and I just listen to those words and it lifts me up and and instead of shrinking God in me and Jesus in me it begins to grow and sometimes all I'm doing is just this. But if we don't do that we will always be trusting our understanding and if your understanding was so good or mine maybe that would be right to do but I've made so many wrong decisions I want to trust in Him. Again. so if you could bow your head for a moment Israel is in a terrible place and in the midst of God, warning them. In the midst of God, speaking to, him, to them. And commanding that they repent. This is what he says in 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you in your mother's womb. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. Meditate on this passage this whole week. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I am with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I will give Egypt for your ransom, and see before you in your stead. Since you are precious, precious and honored in my sight, you are precious and honored in the sight of Jesus in the sight of God because of Jesus I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life do not be afraid for I am with you I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west and say to the north give them up and not, uh, and to the south do not hold them back Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I've accepted for my glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that for all of us, that Isaiah 43 will become a revelation, not just information, Fear not. And the Holy Spirit asks you to come now with a fresh anointing, with a fresh rain upon us, precious people, holy and dearly loved by you, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus that the spirit of fear, you have not given us the spirit of fear, that the spirit of fear be broken. Be broken, be broken in the mighty name of Jesus. The crazy thing is, churches, I minister to people His job is to help people through depression that are in depression. They can't even speak about it, they're so afraid. How do they do that? God has not given you a spirit of fear. And we come in the name of Jesus and we break a spirit of fear in the mighty name of Jesus. We have authority in Jesus' name. We are strong in the Lord and in your mighty power. We are going to put on the armor of God and we're going to submit to you, Lord God, and we're going to resist not in our strength but in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, it's time to arise. There's an urgency. There's an urgency in in the nations. For the church to arise, for a bold, strong church, and in Jesus' name, we're going to worship a little while. I just thank you for staying in there. If you, if you want to um, pick, get your kids, uh, well, please do get them. If you want to bring them back, we are just going to worship a while. We're going to worship of ourselves. We're going to worship of our nation that Canada will be saved, that there'll be a transformation from coast to coast, north to south, dominion of Canada. We're gonna pray that, and we're gonna spend time, 10 minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, just in soaking in the presence of God daily so that He can wash us clean and cleanse us from our consciences so we can stand holy and righteous in humility, serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Church, He is worthy, He is worthy He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy. He is worthy. And we don't go in our own strength, but not in our own might, but we go in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's begin to worship God for a while, church.